Tori and I went to Hobby Lobby. How many of y'all are big fans of Hobby Lobby? Woo, yeah. Well, we went, we went there a couple weeks ago, and uh, you never guess what they already have out in the aisles, right? Right? Christmas stuff. They had skipped Halloween. I didn't even see any Halloween stuff. It went right to Christmas. They had trees. They had decor. They had lights up and everything. It's crazy because it was July at that point. Uh, so if Hobby Lobby can talk about Christmas and have the Christmas spirit, why can't we, right? So today we're going to uh, look at Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to talk about some people that were secretly incredible in the Bible that I believe we overlook quite often. And we lump them into the Christmas story, and they often don't get talked about on their own. But there's some pretty amazing people. We don't know much about them. We don't know a lot of details, but we know what they did. And what they did was incredible. And today we're going to focus in on these men. And I think that you are going to agree that these guys deserve our attention because they're, they're, they're pretty amazing. In 19, I mean, excuse me, in 1857, which coincidentally was just nine years after this church was started, in 1857, John Henry Hopkins wrote a song called We Three Kings. How many of you ever heard that one before, right? I've always liked that song because it's an easy song for the male voice to sing, right? It's way down there. Y'all sing it with me. You ready? We three kings of Orient are. So sad sounding though too, right? I like it, but it kind of sounds sad. They're, they're upset about this big long travel. But uh, the other thing that's kind of different about it is they do take some liberties in the lyrics of that song. Uh, art often does that. But we actually don't know how many men that there were. Uh, that we talk about there being three because they had three gifts, but there most likely was many more than that. We also, uh, the Bible never calls them once kings. So out of the title, he got one of the words right out of the, we three kings. You know, you almost got it there, buddy. And we're excited about you focusing in on these guys. But uh, we, we don't know uh, that they're kings. The Bible never says that. The Bible calls them wise men. Or the Greek word for wise man is magi. And uh, so that's what the Bible says about it. And we're going to look at them here in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Another common misconception about these wise men is that the, they arrived the night that Jesus was born. Many scholars believe that uh, they would have come long after Christmas night based on the fact that verse 11 says that they found him in a house and he was no longer in a stable. Also, the time it would have taken for them to travel from the east and also, when Herod tried to kill all the babies in the land to try and kill Jesus, uh, he, he killed the children two years and younger based on the timeline that those wise men, the Magi, gave him. So Jesus could have been anywhere from six months to two years old when the wise men actually arrived. So who were these wise men? Verse 1 tells us that they were from the east or most likely Persia or Iran. So let me grab a little illustration here. Uh, you've probably seen these before, and you probably even have one. It's not this base. This is just in my way. I'm just going to chunk it, Eli. You just 
You knew I was getting back here, Eli. Come on, man. Is that the way you're supposed to put it up there? Does that work? Here we go. All right. So you've seen one of these before, right? That's yeah, a wise man, right? And this one's kind of cross-eyed. Uh, but I don't think that's big enough. Let me get a different one. We got another one back here. I like this one. This one's beautiful. How many of y'all have seen this one before, right? Yeah. So there's one problem with this. This guy's like Irish or something. He looks like he should be like William Wallace or something, and you can't take his freedom. Um, I'm going to sit that right here so you can see that. Uh, you know, we definitely know, regardless of what they look like, that they definitely weren't white because they were from Persia or Iran or something like that. Um, so we know that they're from the East. Verse 2 tells us that they were seeking the child that was born king of the Jews and that they had been watching the stars for a sign that he had come. Well, the king of Persia had this special council known as the Magi. And as part of the Magi, they would have studied astronomy, astrology, religion, and science. And from time to time, they would also be called upon to interpret dreams and to read the stars. Does anybody else know another Bible character that was uh, uh, a counsel to the king and interpreted dreams in Persia? Daniel, right? Well, Daniel was actually part of the Magi. Yeah, the same Daniel that ended up in the lion's den. Isn't that amazing? Not only was he part of the Magi 600 years earlier, but he was chief of the Magi. And uh, so in the book of Daniel, uh, the Bible calls them magicians, right? Get it? Magicians, right? And that's where we get that word from, magicians. Well, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 22... The angel Gabriel, where else do we know Gabriel from, right? He's the one that came to Mary and told uh, her that he was gonna, they were going to have a baby. Well, that same angel Gabriel came to Daniel, one of these magi. And Gabriel told Daniel that 483 years after the decree was given to rebuild Jerusalem, that the king of the Jews would come. So 600 years later, after Daniel... The Magi know of this prophecy, and then they see this supernatural sign of the stars in the sky and this new star that uh, had appeared, and they know that the time has come. They most likely then would have searched the scripture for more sign uh, about this coming king, and they would have found them because the Bible is full of this prophecy about the Messiah coming. Isaiah 7, 14 would have told them that a sign would be that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and they would call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Micah 5, 2 would have told them how important Bethlehem was. It says, but you, Bethlehem Euphrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In fact, the, the wise men knew the scripture so much that they quoted Numbers 24, verse 17, here in this chapter of Matthew in verse 6. Uh, it says this in verse 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This verse here in Numbers was a prophecy of Balaam, who was also part of of the Magi, hundreds of years before the Messiah. 
And the Jewish people understood that this prophecy was about the coming Messiah, the light of the world, the royal king of kings. Verse 9 says, Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where this child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we, we, we've seen these people before. We hear about them every year. But these guys were a group of learned men, educated men, whose former leader was Daniel. And they had been studying religion and the stars for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now these men were most likely, when they started, pagans. But they knew the Hebrew scripture because the Israelites had lived among them for hundreds of years. So they see this supernatural star, this supernatural event in the sky that the Bible calls a star. And they realize that it's a sign that the king that Daniel spoke of is here. So they pack up their camels and their caravans and they ready gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then they travel 1,100 miles or so over the course of months to do what? To come fall down before this child and worship. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine the faith that that took to step out on this thousand-mile journey on a camel to find a child that you have never met so that you can give him expensive gifts valued in the thousands? This wasn't easy. This wasn't just like going to a baby shower, you know, and showing up with some little gift. This took work. This was huge. It took faith. You know, the Bible commends Abraham many times for the faith that he had when he obeyed God and stepped out into a destination that he had no idea where he was going. And these wise men did the same thing. God moved in them, and they had the faith to step out, knowing that they wouldn't see the reason that they stepped out for months. Imagine every night sitting by a fire with the faith that one day you're going to bow before the king. Every morning, saddling up your camel and riding on it for months just so that you could get a chance to worship Jesus and to lay down offerings and to recognize who he is. Sometimes it's hard for us to get out of bed on Sunday morning. And these men saddled up camels and rode on them for 1,100 miles to give expensive gifts to Jesus. They brought gold that represented royalty and kingship. They brought frankincense that uh, was an incense that was used by the priest to represent Jesus' priesthood and his holiness. And then they brought myrrh, which was used to prepare bodies for burial, to signify his reason for coming to earth to die for you and for me. In fact, myrrh was so important that they gave Jesus or tried to give Jesus myrrh mixed with wine while he was on the cross. So here's the question for you today. What is God asking you to step out on? What is God asking you to step out and do? Where does he want to take you? Do you have the faith? Are you even looking for God to ask you to step out? Have you even been asking God, God, what do you want for me? If he did, would you move? What if he didn't give you all the details up front? Would you still have the faith? 
Those of us that have been Jesus followers for a while have probably stepped out before. But then we realized that it wasn't easy. We realized that it might cost us something. Or maybe we turned back at the first sign of difficulty or the first decent excuse that we could come up with. Maybe it just took so long to get there. God, I know that I said I would do this months and months ago, but it hasn't happened yet, so I guess I'll just give up. You couldn't put your head down and just step for months, and you gave up, you turned back, you lost faith, you made excuses, you went back to being comfortable. Well, these secretly incredible men didn't quit. And because of that, they got to be some of the first people in history to see the Savior, to bow down before him and to offer him something. And think about this. They recognized Jesus before the miracles, before the cross, before the resurrection, because they stepped out. And what they did gets talked about every year, thousands of years later. Little kids dress up like them with fake beards and bedsheet robes, and we sit little statues of them by our couch the whole month of December. We don't know who they are, but we know what they did, and what they did was incredible. You know, they were important people back in Persia, but to us, they're just the three wise men. But they stepped out. They made the trip. They didn't turn back and they knelt before Jesus. And they may have started as pagans, but I believe that they ended as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's review. We've been doing this every week. Let's review our secretly incredible reminders. You ready? Y'all remember it? You ready? Bring one. What's the next one? Let go. And the next one is reach out. And today I couldn't find an awesome one, and Tori suggested this one. I think it's pretty good. You ready? Step out. You right? You ready? <laughs> Step out. I couldn't see your feet, so otherwise you have to lift your foot up somehow so I could see it. You ready? Let's do them all together. Bring one. Let go. Reach out. Step out. I feel like we're playing a really weird version of rock, paper, scissors. And I think I won. So what is God asking you to step out on this morning? Is it to serve him in a way that scares you? Is it to have a gospel conversation with someone in your life that you know is going to be a little bit awkward, but you're willing to step out and just say, hey, let me just tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. Maybe it's to jump in here at a ministry at CBC that you've been thinking about for a while, but you've been kind of nervous. Maybe it's to join the small groups, to join our CBC volunteer kids church team. Maybe it's to fly across the world and to go to another part of the country and to, to, to do something for other people that will cost you something, but you're willing to step out and go to another part of the country, another part of the world, and to be a witness for Christ and to serve people. Maybe it's to hand over a sin that you've been clinging on to for a while and you, you really have started to identify as that is just who you are and you don't know what you would do if you gave that up and you're a little bit nervous about it. What is God asking you to step out on today? See, so many times when we step into decisions like this, we think that it will just be a quick fix. We come down to the altar and we pray and we give things over. Uh, but then sometimes it takes months or years to get to the place once you step out to that destination that God has for you. 
It might mean going to seminary for years. It might mean uh, saving money for months so that you can do something that God asked you to do. It might mean getting up every morning, committing to not go back to the life that you used to lead. Don't get discouraged. Don't use excuses. God is calling you to do incredible things. But they'll only happen if you step out. One night, a house caught fire, and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. And the father stood on the ground, and he had outstretched arms, and he called to his son, jump, I'll catch you. Jump, come on. He knew the boy had to jump in order to save his life. The house was going up in flames, and it was going to end badly if he didn't jump. But all the boy could see was the flames and the smoke and the darkness. He was afraid to leave the roof. But the father kept yelling, jump, son, jump. I will catch you. But the boy protested, Daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, but I can see you. And that's all that matters. See, sometimes you have to do something risky when you're following God. Sometimes to get where God wants you to be, you have to leap, you have to jump, you have to step out where you don't know the destination. There's been plenty of times that Tori and I have had to step out into an unknown with only the faith in the one who knows all. It might take months or years to see why God wanted you to step out. There's going to be plenty of chances to turn back. There's going to be plenty of excuses. You're going to want to just blame it on something else. Well, I asked somebody if I could do this, and they didn't seem interested, so I left it to the side, and I said, well, I guess it's not God's will. Maybe he didn't really want me to do that. But if you continue stepping, you just wake up every morning and work towards it. You can trust that God will show you something special because there's not someone in this room that is here by accident. Every single one of you has something that God has put you on this earth to do. And you might say, well, I think it was years ago he wanted me to do something. That's okay. God can use you today. We just need to step out. There's a common Christmas cliche that we hear every year that wise men still seek him. Let's follow that and step out. If every head's bowed and eyes closed, you stand to your feet and, and bow your heads. Worship team's going to come. We learned about some secretly incredible people, people that we don't know their identities. But what we do know is that they did amazing things. They brought people to Jesus. They let go of earthly possessions and, and realized that it was all about the next life, the eternal life. We also saw a woman that was bound by her issue and her identity had become that she was unclean and she was worthless and she reached out to Jesus when she was at the bottom, the rock bottom. And here we see some men that had important jobs back home. They were people that were to be honored, but they put that all to the side. They jumped on camels so that they could bow before a baby. And they recognized that he was Jesus, the Savior. And it was worth it all. With every head bowed and eyes closed, as the band plays, God is asking you to step out you can come down to this altar. It's not a magic place, but there's something symbolic about it. 
Maybe you'd rather more comfortable praying there in your pew. But I beg you to ask God today, God, what do you want me to step out into? Maybe you already know what that thing is and you've started to get discouraged and you say, I I think I want to quit. Don't quit. Ask God this morning as the band plays for just a minute. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not even really sure that you know Jesus as your Savior. You can't go back to a time where you bowed your life before a king and you said, Jesus, it's all yours. I know I can't save myself. I know all these things in this this earth are worthless. And I put my faith and trust in you, the Savior. Can you go back to a time and a place where you did that once and for all? Not a year that you lived pretty well or went to church several weeks in a row or helped somebody without asking for it. No, we're talking about a time when you bowed before God and said, God, it's all yours. And you stepped out into this thing called salvation and redemption, and mercy, and forgiveness. If you can't remember that, that place, that time where you called out to God and you were sincere, and genuine, you can get that settled today once and for all. See, we each have a problem. We've got this problem called sin, and every man since Adam has had it. The biggest problem with it is not just that it hurts others and it hurts us. The biggest problem is that it separates us from a holy God. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible goes on and tells us the wages, what we earn for our sin is death. And that's more than a physical death. It's a spiritual death in a place called hell. Separation from God forever. For honest with ourselves, we all will know that we've sinned. We've lied, we cheated, we've had bitterness and pride in our hearts and put ourselves before others. See, Jesus Christ came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us, so that he could walk this planet for 33 years and live a sinless life, so that an innocent person named Jesus Christ could die for a guilty person named Phil Wayman. He took my place. That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We like to make it real complicated. We like to say you need to do this and join a church and get baptized and this and that. But the Bible says, whoever would believe on the name of Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation, would be saved. If you can't go back to that place, that time where you did that, 
you can get it settled once and for all right now. The prayer is not a magic prayer. It's not a poem or a pledge of allegiance. It's a call from your heart to God. Real, genuine, once and for all. You could call out to him with something like this right now. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, please forgive me. Turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. I'm bowing before you, the king. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. That's you here today. You made that choice. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to call you out. You made that decision for the first time or the first time you really understood it. If you'd slip your hand up, no one else is looking around. So that's me, Pastor Phil. I stepped out this morning. I made that choice for the first time or the first time I understood it. Amen. Amen. God continues to deal with your heart. Altar's still open. But let's sing.